For years, I've been told of all sorts of stories. Adventurous ones, cautionary tales, and some that inspire bravery against all odds. But there was one story greater than any other. A true event. The storyteller not only entered the story he authored, he is the story. From the beginning he was there. Everything that was, was because of him. It was his life that brought our characters to life. And it's his life that is our light. He shines in the shadows, and the shadows cannot shut him out. Now he walks through our pages, so when this book comes to a close, we can have the hearts of victors, because he is God with us. I, I absolutely love to read. I am... I'm a, a nerd in a lot of ways, and I'm not talking about the reading part. Like, I'm a nerd in that I love spreadsheets and things like that, but um, for books and all those, or bookkeeping. But I also keep a spreadsheet of all the books that I've read, and I've been doing that for the past six or seven years. So I have this list of all the books and what day, if it's a, if it's a just for fun book, then it actually has the date and the author and the title that I finished the book. Again, you're, you're getting a little glimpse into like, what in the world is going on here? If it's a, a book that I'm reading for the church, I don't necessarily put down the date, but I put down the author and the title, and you know, I'm, I'm writing little notes in the books as I go along. If it's one that I'm reading more for uh, personal growth or spiritual growth or things like that, the, uh, the books that I just read for fun, I don't take notes in those. I don't feel like I need to go quite that far. But I love, I've always loved to read. I was that kid that, you know, we would get those little scholastic magazines where you could order books when we were young. And I don't even know if they still use those anymore. It seems like I've seen my kids come home with one. But I would order the Goosebumps books. And actually, I don't even know why I picked that book up. I've never read that book in my life. But I would read the Goosebumps. And I would get these, and they would finally come in the mail, and then that night, you know, bedtime was 8 or 9 o'clock, whatever it was, I'd go down to my room, say goodnight to my parents, wait for them to go back upstairs, because my room was downstairs, and I'd flip that light back on, and I'm sure my parents had no idea that I was staying up until 3 or 4 in the morning so that I could read that entire book in one night. And I don't know if you've read Goosebumps by R.L. Stein, but when you're a young kid and you're reading those books... They're a little bit uh, terrifying sometimes. Like there's the one about the dummy that it comes out and it attacks everybody. And there's one about a blob that comes out and it attacks everybody. And there's one about this big giant like Bigfoot type thing. And guess what? It attacks everybody. And so I would read these books and then at 3 o'clock I would finish the book and I wouldn't want to turn my light off because I'm terrified. But I wouldn't want to leave my light on because I also had one of those little My Buddy dolls. Um... I actually still have the My Buddy doll. It's currently dressed up as Santa, and it's our elf on the shelf for the year, which I'm told is even creepier than the actual elf on the shelf, and that's, I think that's one reason I love it so much. But when you've read a book about a killer dummy, and then you look over on your shelf, and you see this My Buddy doll that stands about that tall with these big blue eyes just staring at you, you don't sleep that night at all. And so I would wake up the next morning, and of course, my parents had no idea that I had stayed up all night reading a book and then stayed up all night terrified about the book that I had read. 
I would be exhausted. And my eyes are just like bloodshot and, you know, they're dark underneath and everything. Because I would get pulled into these books. I mean, I read pretty much everything that I could get my hands on. I got A pluses all the way through in English class, all the way through middle school and high school, because we would get extra credit if we read extra accelerated reader books. And so I would read, I don't countless throughout the course of the year, and then I'd get on and I'd, I'd pass the test, and so I'd just get this extra credit. And I always say that I love English, and I do. I probably liked English more because I was getting A pluses because I was getting all this extra credit for doing something that I love to do anyway, which was to read. But I would read, you know, I'm, I just got done reading the Narnia series to my girls before we moved here. We're currently reading through uh, the Little House on the Prairie books. And, you know, it's, it's interesting as they're reading this and like, wait a second, this girl had to do what? Like, she, wait, where's, where's the TV in this story? Like, they got excited about that? Are you kidding me? And I mean, it's just interesting to read these. I do have to be a lot more selective in my reading these days because I don't have as much time on my hands as I used to because I have two little girls and a little boy who's even smaller. And so they, they take the time away, so it takes me a little bit longer to choose which books I'm gonna read. But if you are a reader, you kinda, you understand that feeling of just getting sucked into a book. You know, Sarah is the type, my wife, she's the type that she'll finish a book series. I remember when she finished the Twilight series back in the day, like she got done with it and she didn't want to pick up another book because she had gotten so sucked into this book. And the same thing when she read the, uh, uh, I can't remember what series it is, I'm thinking other series. But anyway, when she gets done with these books, she gets sucked into them so much that these characters are like real people to her. And so even if at the end of the book, it's this, and they lived happily ever after, she almost feels like these people died, and she just can't move on. Now me, I get done with the book, and I'm really involved in the book. I just finished this 14-book series where the average book was 1,000 pages long that my brother sucked me into, um, called The Wheel of Time. And I get done with it, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I can actually read another book of a different story. And so I'm the complete opposite of Sarah. I get done with a book, and it's like the sense of, yeah finished and she gets done with the end of the book she's like oh i'm sad we have a a nine-year-old who on friday will become 10 so we'll have our first double digit year old uh child if you see keely and you want to wish her a happy birthday uh you can do that but she actually she loves to read she's adopted this from us and she is our librarian in our house so all of these books that you see up here are stored in keely's room on bookshelves and in order for me to go in there and to read a book that I paid for, and I have even already read most likely, I have to go to my nine-year-old, soon-to-be 10-year-old librarian and check out that book. Because that's just, she loves books so much that we're like, hey, maybe this is something that we can do to foster that love within her. She's the kind of girl that will just, she'll sit down on a Saturday afternoon and we won't see her for hours because she is just entranced in her warrior's cat book. And I keep trying to get her to read a book about dogs. And she just keeps going back to the stories about cats instead. And it breaks my heart. But she, uh, she actually has this little nook area in her bedroom, which if you've ever been in the house next door, in the upstairs, the windows are in these little, we call them a nook. And we're turning hers into her little reading nook. So for Christmas, she doesn't know this, don't tell her, 
uh, for Christmas, we're decking that thing out with a beanbag and a, a lamp that goes on the wall and like all this artwork on the, on the walls that has some neat phrase about reading. I can't remember exactly what it is. But she's like, I, this is something we know she's going to be super excited about because she gets pulled in. And for some of you, you're listening to this going, I don't like to read. Is this all he's going to talk about? So let's switch over to movies. So for some of us, it's a movie. It's the, it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Universe that just sucks us in and we just can't get enough. Like when Endgame came out, we were part of the reason that that movie grossed a billion dollars so fast. Because we went to it three or four times because we were so, anybody go to, to any of the Avengers movies three to four times? I, I see one hand. Anybody go to Star Wars movies three to four times when they come out? Nobody. Wow, wow, that's, uh, that's, oh, we had one, Shoo! thank you, David, you saved me on that one, I was, I was about to be shocked there, um, but no, we, we get sucked into stories if they're well done, you know, if a story is well done, it's got twists, and it's got turns, and it's not, I just, I know from the very beginning of the story exactly how it's going to end, because if I know exactly how it's going to end, my attention just, it's out. Sarah, we both, we love going to movies, but it drives her crazy because I will sit there in the movie and about 20 minutes in, so many times I'll look at her and go, you want to know how this ends? She's like, just, just shut up and watch the movie because she wants to just wait and see what happens. And my attention level, as soon as I figure out the end, is just, but man, when they throw in that twist and something happens that I wasn't expecting to happen, I'm sucked right back in. We're in the middle of a season that we call Christmas, that we call Advent. Uh, it goes by several different names. But this is a, a story that just happens to be true, which is another thing that sucks people into a story. But it's also a story that is full of twists and turns as you read through it. I think it's easy for us, if we've read it over and over again, to read through the Christmas story that we have written down for us in Scripture and just kind of gloss over it. Like, you know, it's December, so let's just go ahead and we've got to read it to our kids. Hey, this is going to happen. Hey, guess what? Then it's going to go, the angel's going to go talk to some shepherds and then some, some wise men or magi or kings, whatever we're going to call them this year. They're going to show up. Uh, this baby's going to be born. He's going to be wrapped in clothes. And we just kind of, you know, Mary, she wasn't married yet. She got pregnant. It was God's baby. And we just kind of just ho-hum our way through it. But if we really stop and appreciate what this story is, it is, it's more amazing. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm not just saying this because we're in a church. It's more amazing than any of the once upon a time stories that we read when we were growing up as kids. It's more incredible than any of those once upon a time fairy tales that we would read. It's got more twists in it than we often recognize when we read through the story. So this morning, I would like us to read through the story of Christmas. Not the entire thing that we have in scripture, we're just gonna read a portion of it. And I actually, so first service, I got up here and I realized that I left my Bible in the office. And now this service, as I'm getting ready to read through it, I realized I left my Bible back in the sound booth. So I'm going to be looking at the screen like anyone else of you who forgot to bring their Bibles this morning. So I'm right there with you. But if you would like to pull out your Bible and look at Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. And we're just going to read through a part of the Christmas story when once upon a Christmas, something absolutely incredible happened. In Matthew 1:18, it starts like this. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. 
So right away, it's telling us right from the front, here's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about the birth of Jesus the Messiah. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, nothing out of the ordinary. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, here comes twist number one to the plot. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So he's wanting to, you know, by law, he can have her put to death. But he's decided, I'm just going to stay mum about this. She can have her baby. I'm going to go my way. You can imagine the heartbreak that he has. But he's not going to do what he could do. And he's just going to let it kind of go. But in verse 20, it says that as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. And I love how the angels always start out with, do not be afraid. Because these are not little babies who are wearing diapers and are carrying harps and are floating on clouds. Angels, if you, anytime you look in scripture, that's almost always how they start is don't be afraid. Because they are terrifying creatures. Not to mention, if you're just sitting there and all of a sudden like, angel, you're not like, oh, hey, how are you? It's like, ah! And so do not be afraid. That's how they always start. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Look at the plot twists that are already going on. We're going to come back and we're going to look at these. But just start thinking through like how many things have already happened in the story that you would not expect to hear in a story of the birth of the king, the savior, not the way that they were looking for it to happen. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So just stop for a second there, and so often we think they just walked right into the throne room, and they came up to Herod, and they said, hey, where's the king of the Jews? You look at the kind of what's going on in the rest of the story, and everyone in Jerusalem felt this way, which means they were going around Jerusalem saying, hey, do you know where the king of the Jews is? Yeah, it's Herod. He's in that castle. No, 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 not that king of the Jews. Where's the new king of the Jews? I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, do you know where the king of the Jews is? Yeah, he's in that castle right over there. He sits on the throne. No, 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 not that king. We're talking about the new king of the Jews. I don't know what you're talking about. And finally, they end up in front of Herod, and they say, hey, do you know where the king of the Jews is? And he's like, hello, I'm sitting right here. And they look at him and they're like, no, not who we're talking about. Talk about a plot twist. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Skip ahead to verse 8. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem, this is Harold telling these wise men, magi, kings, whichever one you decide to call them this year. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After the interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Is anybody looking forward to seeing what they're calling the star of Bethlehem that you've seen on Facebook or you've seen in the news and coming up in several days? A couple of you? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an exciting thing. That's, they're at least comparing it to what these uh, men would have seen on this day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
look it up. I don't want to spend all of our time talking about that today. I'd be happy to answer your questions later for what I know, which isn't much, but I'd be happy to answer them. Anyway, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Remember, they're looking for a king. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, as we go into Christmas, as we're in Christmas, we get really excited about it, or at least a lot of us get real excited about Christmas. But there's also, there's just, there's a lot of trouble and there's a lot of inconveniences that come along with Christmas too. For some of you, when you think of the trouble of Christmas, you're thinking about this year, like, the trouble with Christmas this year is I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know if we're going to be able to go on vacation. I don't know if family's going to be able to come visit us. It might be like our Thanksgiving plans where, you know, we drove up to Wyoming and then we got as far as Torrington and we turned around and we came back. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. And so that's, that's, maybe that's what you think of as the trouble with Christmas. Maybe the trouble or the inconvenience with Christmas for you is that your kids want everything. They want the hoverboard. They want the cell phone. They want the tablet. They want the bigger TV. They want the brand new basketball shoes. They want the athletic clothes. They want the, whatever it may be. Your kids want everything. And you're sitting here going, Okay, I've got to teach them what the real meaning of Christmas is while at the same time not making them hate me for giving them um, nothing for Christmas this year. And, oh, there's also this thing where I don't have any money to buy any of the stuff that they want because they want the most expensive things. And, like, all the young parents are, are smiling right now. I'm actually talking about all of you with grown-up children right now that are sitting there thinking all these, you know, you know. But we, you know, maybe the trouble with your Christmas is not that, I don't know if we're going to get to spend time with family. It's that, oh, we have to spend time with family. Like, I, I don't want that brother, that sister, that, that parent. I don't want to spend time with them. I don't, my brother has the worst kid. This is not me saying this. This is a hypothetical scenario. My brother has the worst children. I don't want to be around those little brats. All they do is run around and scream all day long. And, you know, it's, it's just this miserable situation. Christmas is not enjoyable when we come together. Or maybe the trouble with Christmas for you is that you don't have that person in your family that actually knows how to cook. And so while everybody's talking about, oh, the ham was so delicious, you're like, that was supposed to be ham? I thought that was jerky. Like, you know, it's... you're. You don't have all those same experiences that other people have, and you don't have all those things to look forward to. There are just so many troubles that come along with Christmas. One of the troubles that come along with Christmas that goes all the way back to that very first Christmas is that the presents are sometimes strangely wrapped. You know, that, that sometimes those things that are really good don't look that way when we first receive them. Go all the way back to that first Christmas where there were all sorts of troubles. And there were all sorts of twists in that story. You know, Joseph, he thought he was about to get married. And he was about to enjoy the fruits of married life. And instead, he found out that his wife was going to have a baby. And it wasn't going to be his. Then he found out that that baby was going to be the savior of the world. So this gift that did not look like a real pleasantly wrapped gift, ended up being the greatest gift that he could ever receive. I don't know how your families have done Christmas over the years, obviously. 
but one of the things we like to do when we were little kids is we would take a really little box and we would wrap it with a whole bunch of duct tape. And then we would take a bigger box and we would put the little box inside of the bigger box and we would wrap that one with a whole bunch of duct tape. And then we'd take a bigger one and we'd wrap that one with, and you kind of get the picture of what's going on here until my dad would be sitting there going, where's all the duct tape in this house? Because we use it all to wrap the boxes because it's a pain to open up a gift that has been wrapped in duct tape. It's especially when you're young enough that nobody's giving you a knife to cut the thing open. And then you notice I said we would take a little box and we would wrap the little box. I didn't say we put anything in the little box. I just said we took a little box and we wrapped it. Because really they would get all the way done and we'd say, oh yeah, by the way, your gift is outside. We didn't want to wrap it. And they would have to go outside and they would have to get their gift. And those were so many times some of the coolest gifts that we received. I don't know how many times my parents would, you know, we'd open up several smaller gifts and everything. And then they'd say, oh, by the way, your biggest gift is out in the shop. Or your biggest gift is downstairs. And it's not wrapped at all. Or you, maybe you get that really ugly wrapped gift. And you hear the phrase so many times that, you know, you're not supposed to judge the book by its cover. But when you are, you know, maybe you're at a, a, a dirty Santa party or a, a white elephant type of a party. And you have the choice between this elegantly wrapped gift that looks like somebody took it to a professional and had it wrapped. Or the ones who took the gift that are wrapped in, like, the old paper bags that you used to get at the grocery store and they just kind of taped it shut. You're looking at them and you're like, yeah, I'm going with the really nice wrapped gift. Or my kids, we just wrapped some of their presents yesterday and one of them is this really big box that's got a sleep, or not a sleeping bag, a bean bag in it. Then there's this little teeny tiny box. And I'll tell you now, the thing in the little teeny tiny box costs a whole lot more than the thing in the really, really big box. The presents that we get are so often strangely wrapped. You know, you look at 2020, and I've, I've heard countless people talk about some of the hard things that have happened throughout the course of this year, and some of them, they haven't gotten better, and they haven't gotten easier, but I've heard so many stories of those who are like, you know, I lost my job this year, but because I lost my job, I had the freedom to go and pursue that thing that I've actually really felt passionate about pursuing for years, but I couldn't do because I couldn't give up a paycheck. I was stuck in a miserable job that I hated, but I had to do it because I had to pay bills. And when it was ripped away from me, I was freed up to do something else. That is a strangely wrapped gift. And we talked to a lot of people over the course of the year that, you know, staying at home was really hard at first, and then it got easier, and then it got really hard again, and, and then we jumped back into normal. But anyway, there was this point where people realized, some people realized, this staying at home thing has forced me to understand that I am valuable to God whether I'm busy or not. Because I was finding all of my value in how busy I was. You know, I'm a good parent, because I'm running this kid over here and then I have to hurry up and get home to run this kid over here and then hurry up and go pick that kid back up and then go over here and take this kid here and, and then do this over here and I've gotta get breakfast on the table and I've gotta get dinner on the table and I've gotta do this over here and I've gotta do this. And, and it forced them to stop and realize that those aren't the things that made them a good parent. They were part of being a parent, but they weren't the things that actually made them a good parent or a good person but they were instead created 
by God, and he had already told them, hey, you are my creation, and I love you whether you're busy or not. And they started to see where their true value started to lie. I saw in this church, uh, there, was, there was disagreement as far as when to close the doors, when to open the doors. Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? And there was, you know, there was a lot of potential for divide and just destruction of this church. But in the midst of that, what I saw, I think, anyway, is a church that had to work through some of those things and actually have some uncomfortable conversations, and I feel like we're coming out on the other side of it healthier than we went in. And I've seen so many churches realizing that we needed to redo some things. We needed to do some things different. We kind of lost focus on what the purpose of the church was in the first place. And so it's a strangely wrapped gift that that's what we got out of the trouble of opening up that strangely wrapped gift. It's happening all over the place. There's a lot of troubles and there's a lot of inconveniences with Christmas. And another one of them, if you're taking notes, is that with Christmas, going all the way back to that very first one, everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to Christmas. You go all the way back and those shepherds that were invited were not expecting an invitation to the birth of a king. Because shepherds stank. Shepherds were crude. Shepherds didn't have all the manners that you were supposed to have when you walked into the presence of a king. They were dressed dirty. They had a job that was kind of looked down on. If you remember going all the way back to when David was called, he was out taking care of the sheep while all the other brothers were looked at because he was out doing the job that didn't have all the prestige with it. But the angel comes to the shepherd and starts out with, hey, don't be afraid. Let's get that out of the way. I'm not here to kill you right now. A king has been born, and you need to go see him. Everybody is invited to Christmas. Which means for you, everyone is invited to Christmas. Even Cousin Eddie's that are out there are invited to Christmas. Even the sibling that you don't get along with is invited to Christmas. Even the coworker who stabs you in the back, who talks bad about you, who doesn't do their job and makes your life more miserable. Even the employee that you have to ask yourself every day, is today the day that I fire this lazy bum? Even they are invited to Christmas. Even the person who sits on the opposite side of the political aisle than you do is invited to Christmas because Jesus was telling us, God, his father was telling us, I am sending my son for the entire world. And you don't get to choose who this is for and who this isn't for. In fact, as you really read through the words of Jesus, and through his life, he really gives us the impression that if you come up to him and you say, hey, you either uninvite that person from the party or I'm not coming, he's looking at you and he's saying, well, this breaks my heart to say it, but it sounds like you're not coming because I'm not going to uninvite them because you don't like them. Everyone is invited for Christmas. Some of us can very quickly come up with a couple of names like, yeah, but really, like, Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to Christmas. The trouble of Christmas is that it is really awkward if you call yourself a king. You know, you look at these, these magi who come up to Herod, and they come up to him and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's sitting there going, that's me. 
I'm the king of the Jews. You found him. What do you need? And they look at him and they say, no, 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 no. We're talking about a different king of the Jews. We're talking about a new king of the Jews. We're talking about the king of the Jews that we've been looking for for centuries. And you're not him. Herod didn't live up to the expectations that God had put on anybody. Herod was not what we would look at and be like, wow, he's a really nice guy. He got a bum rap out of this whole thing. So they're coming into him and they're saying, you're not the guy. There's going to be somebody who's going to come along and he's going to replace you. And Herod's response as you read this is not, that is so awesome. I'm so excited to hear it. Like, I didn't really want this crown in the first place. Please take me to him so that I can find him, so that I can put my, well, actually, that's not true. That is what he told them. But then as you read the story after they leave, you find out that Herod's plan is actually find out where this new king of the Jews is so that he can go kill this new king of the Jews so that he can remain the king of the Jews. And the trouble for us for Christmas is that if we look at ourselves as the king or the queen of our lives, if we look at ourselves as the rulers of our lives, Christmas is really, really awkward. And Christmas is really full of troubles and obstacles because Jesus has told us, I am the king of kings and I am the Lord of lords. You don't get to be your own king anymore. That's a big stumbling block for people. If we're honest, that's a big stumbling block for many of us, even as we followed him for all these years, because we get to this point where it's like, okay, God, I know that you are the king, and I love you, and you're awesome, but can't I just be comfortable this time? Can't I just do what I want this time? Can't I just take control this time? I recently went on a little Amazon spending spree, and I bought a whole bunch of, of running clothes and workout clothes, and then I got them all in, and I'm having a conversation with my children about Christmas and how, uh, you know, it's, it's not all about us and getting all the things we want, and, uh, and well, I, I recently went on an Amazon spending spree, and then I went on an Amazon returning spree, and that was not easy because I was sitting there going, but, but come on, like... I want, these would make running so much more pleasant. This would make it, this would make my life so much, like, why do I, why do I have to set an example on these types of things? Like, why can't I just do what I want to do? And I, I kind of had this little pity party inside of me. And that's not to say that you can't go out and buy workout clothes. I don't care if you go out and buy workout clothes. I don't care if you spend some money on Amazon. But we have to remind ourselves that he is ultimately the king. And if he is sitting there and he is saying, hey, right now I need you to use those funds for something else. Right now I need you to use those funds to repair somebody's house that's, that's breaking down and is letting in drafts and, and water. Right now I need you to feed somebody, not go out and just buy comfortable things for yourself. Then we have to be willing to listen. And we can't sit there and say, no, 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 I'm in charge of my life. I mean, we hear that all over the place. Self-help books are everywhere telling us how to have mind over matter and how to control your life. But the story of Christmas and the trouble with Christmas, the twist in the Christmas story, is we actually have to give that over to him. And the trouble with Christmas in this story that we read is that compliance often brings chaos. It's rewarded with chaos. Look at what Mary and Joseph did. 
they looked, the angel came, and the angel said, here's the plan. And they said, well, that isn't the plan that I had for my life, but okay, I will do it because I will listen and I will follow you. God, you are my God. I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. And life got easier for him. Like everything was, no, just the opposite. Here she is, teenage girl, unwed, pregnant. Now all of a sudden, there's a second tax that's coming along. So they probably already didn't have a lot of money. But there's a second tax that comes along. And oh, by the way, in the midst of this second tax, you have to travel to the city of your father's birth. And so they have to travel to Bethlehem, which was about 70 miles away, which to us is no big deal. You jump in the car, you drive a little bit past Indianapolis, and you're there. Not a problem. Well, for them, that meant that a nine-month pregnant teenager had to either ride on the back of a donkey or she had to walk 70 miles. This isn't a nice, comfortable car that she's in. This is miserable. And for those of you women who have been pregnant and who have gotten to the nine-month mark of pregnancy, you're sitting there going, that sounds horrible. Like, I've got to go boom, 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 with this big bowling ball in my stomach, and it's just, and I'm like, and I already want to throw up as it is, and I'm not trying to mock at all what you go through in pregnancy. I'm saying this sounds horrible. I'll never fully understand what Mary had to go through. But her life got more chaotic when she decided to look at that angel and said, whatever you need, I will do. And then the baby's born and life got, oh wait, not easier. Now the baby's born and they find out in this vision, hey, there's this king who's coming along to kill your son, so you need to run and you need to flee to Egypt. And you're gonna live away from all, you just had a baby, but you're gonna live away from your family for the next several years until it's safe to come home. In a place where you don't have any prospects to make money, in a place where you don't know anybody, in a place where you have no place to live, you can't just you know, get on Travelocity and book yourself a hotel when you get there, but you have no idea what you're gonna do when you get there. And then you look at the rest of their life and you look at the, you know, I'm, Jesus gave them some headaches. We like to think he was the son of God, so he was this perfect little kid. Jesus gave them headaches. When he stayed behind in the temple, they weren't like, oh, you know, I, I'm sure it's fine. Jesus, he's, he's the son of God. It's fine. No, they were panicking. Like, where is my son? My son is lost, and they're looking for him. And then, then he went to a cross. Compliance invites chaos. It's rewarded with chaos in the Christmas story. And the same is true for our lives. It doesn't just get easier because we decide to comply and do what he's asked us to do. In fact, many times on the surface, life gets harder when we decide to comply. Because part of it goes back to that previous one, we have to give up our own kingship over our own lives. And so it's rewarded with this chaos. And it's the trouble with Christmas is that it's easy to bury the lead of Christmas. You know, it, it's easy in our world to just sit and to talk to people about all the things that are going wrong. And at the very end go, oh, and by the way, Jesus was born, so it's all fine. Like, it's easy, and then we don't get to that part because people start listening to us and they're like, wow, you're a really negative person. Why do I want to listen to you? Like, you don't agree with any of my beliefs. So why would I want to listen to you? And they begin to tune us out because it's so easy to bury the lead. This, so bury the lead, I, I was a journalism class way back in the day, uh, back in high school. And one of the things they taught us in journalism class was start with the most important part of your story. 
Because if it goes to press, and there's another story that comes along that's maybe a little bit more exciting or a little bit more important, and we have to cut part of your story, we don't have time to edit through your entire story to get to the important part. This actually goes all the way back to the Civil War, when they were still having to send telegrams and all these types of things, that they would start with the most important part. A great victory was won today. That's what they would begin the telegram with. And then they would go through the 50,000 lives were lost, and they would go through some of the hard parts of the story. But people already knew that a victory came out of it. Because if the telegram got interrupted in the middle of it, and all they got out of it was 50,000 lives were lost today, several battles were lost today, and they never got to the great victory part, where's the encouragement in that? Where, how, how are they going to want to support you more in that? How are they going to want to listen to you more in the midst of that? So we get the incredible honor to start with people with, hey, there is an answer to the troubles that we have in this world. And I know what it is, and I would love to share it with you. Maybe that's not the way you word it, because depending on who you're talking to, that might sound incredibly arrogant, and I understand that. But there is an answer, and we start with the answer, not start with the, hey, here's the laundry list of horrible things going on. Oh, and hey, by the way, there's an answer back here. This is what Jesus did in John 16, verse 33, when he says, I've told you all of this so that you will have peace with me. Then he follows that up with, here on earth, you're going to have many trials, and you're going to have troubles of many kinds, and you're going to have sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. He started by telling them that I've told you this so that you will have peace. You will have peace. Once upon a Christmas, we were given peace. We were given presents that were strangely wrapped. We were given a gift where everyone is invited. We were given a gift where compliance is rewarded with chaos. We were given a gift where it's awkward if you call yourself a king. We were given a gift where it's easy to bury the lead. Because all of those troubles had a huge plot twist at the end with the gift of peace. And that's what we get to go out and we get to share with people. We get to share with them the answer in this troubled world that we live in. We love to sing the song that says, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But really, if we look at the words that Jesus shared with us, now, will there eventually be peace? Yes. But we're not promising people that everyone's going to get along. And all of these issues that we have with an election are going to be solved and all of these issues that we have with peace in the Middle East are going to be solved. Because Jesus actually said that I've not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. That families are going to fight against families because of me. We're not talking about, you know, when the, you know, it used to be the joke that the Miss America pageant, what, what would you most like to give people? I'd like to give world peace. You know, it used to be, you'd see that in movies all over the place. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is a gift that Christ brings for each individual person. That in the midst of a world 
where peace is severely lacking, we can still walk around with it inside our hearts. We can still walk around with it and give it to other people. In the midst of a story full of troubles and plot twists, we can share the ending to that story of a savior who came for each and every single one of us. Savior who came to give us hope, love and joy and peace. And that gift is there for everyone. You may not be feeling a lot of peace this Christmas. Maybe it's because of all the things that have happened in 2020 and maybe it has nothing to do with that. But what I want you to hear this morning is that no matter where you are, Jesus is calling out to you and saying, I have, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace. That's my prayer for each and every one of you this year, is that you would feel that, that you would know that. Would you stand with us as we finish this?